You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, welcome to Blogging Heads TV. I'm Aria Cohen-Wade, and this is Culturally Determined. And my guest today is Michael Sweeney. Uh, Michael, could you introduce yourself? My name is Michael Sweeney. I'm a film and television editor, and uh, yeah. And Game of Thrones fan, um, because that's... And that's, Game of Thrones fan, that's that, the more important part. Yes. That's the topic we're, we're going to be discussing. So, um, uh, long-time viewers will remember that we did an episode after the finale of the of the previous season of Game of Thrones. Um, I went back and checked, that was in August 2017, so that was a long time ago. Um, you know, Rex Tillerson was still Secretary of State. It was a different, different world, basically. Um, but we, we talked about, you know, uh, the end of Season 7. And uh, people can go back and check that out. I'll put a link below. Um, but we're taping this. It is um, uh, almost 11 o'clock Eastern time, um, soon after watching the first episode of the final season of Game of Thrones. And so um, we're going to be talking all about it. If you haven't seen it yet, um, you know, there'll be lots of spoilers in this. So, uh, you know, uh, a fair warning. <laughs> um, we, we will be talking about everything that happened in that episode and, and all the episodes before it. Okay. So I guess the kind of the first thing was that, uh, the first thing of note was that, uh, they changed up the famous title sequence. Um, yes. New look for the title sequence for the yeah. first time. I think in the show's history, you know, it's, it's always been iterated and improved, but this is, right. it's now at night. It's now much more elaborate and detailed. Right. So yeah, I, you know, I didn't even notice that it was at night and I would just say, I have not read like a single thing online reacting to the show. So I, I'm not, right, I, it's, yeah, it's possible we, we may get some facts wrong or, the, you know, the, the theories that people have developed are, uh, you know, everyone will have agreed on it by tomorrow morning, but anyway, okay. Yeah. So it starts, it starts north of the, the, the title sequence starts north of the wall, flies through the hole that, um, the dragon, uh, ice burned into the wall at the end of last season. And then you kind of see like some blue tiles that I guess indicate how far the um, white walkers have gotten. And then, and then we go to Winterfell and yeah, and it's much more detailed. We fl actually fly into it. We go into the like crypt underneath Winterfell where all the Starks are buried. And uh, then we zoom back out and head to, um, Oh God, what is the name of the capital city? King's Landing. King's Landing. And we go into like, yeah, the throne room, the throne room and the like armory and stuff. So it seems like, you know, one of the like things that's been, there's many unusual things about the show, but one of them is that it's taken place in so many different locations, all imaginary, of course, but, um, you know, filmed in like seven different countries for each season. And they are, you're always finding out about these different places. And now it seems like they're telling us, okay, there's really just two places that matter at this point. Uh, Winterfell, home of the Starks and King's Landing, home of the Lannisters and capital of, Westeros. Um, yeah, so I don't, I, I guess it's just like, you know, all, all of our, all of our favorite characters are like coming together. Most of them seem to be ending up in Winterfell and that, yeah. So it seems like we're, we're not really going to be exploring this world anymore. We're kind of sticking with these two main locations. What, what did you think of that? Yeah. And I think you can see the sort of pared down cast where they, they were sort of, it's a very, first episode of the season type episode for Game of Thrones, where it's sort of checking in with everyone. Yeah. Seeing, you know, who is going to be around this season, what are the storylines this season. And it seems like everyone we checked in with is basically everyone who's left, who we could potentially care about. You know, we might not get, I, I'm sure there are other characters who are still alive in the story, um, who we are not going to see this season. I think like 
Salad or Sand, the Sex Pirate, is probably not coming back. <laughs> right, and um, Dario, Dario Naharis. Well, like there was nothing, yeah. nothing with the Essos, the land across the narrow sea, uh, where you know where Danny was for like five seasons or so. Um, yeah, so that maybe that is is done with. Um, okay, so what did you think of the episode overall? I thought it was a good episode. A um, I want to say a return to form, but it made me feel better about the coming season than I had going into it. I thought the last season was sort of um, sloppily planned and did not leave me with a lot of confidence in the showrunners having a plan to end the show. Mm-hmm. And this felt both in terms of what actually happened and in terms of the pacing that they are back on the right track. I hope, you know, it seems like they had swung from in seasons five and six sort of spinning their wheels and wasting time to season seven, sort of hurtling forward too quickly. Mm -hmm. And this now seems like they have, they have the pieces lined up on the chessboard in a way that it makes sense for them to finish up in a good spot one way or another. Yeah. You know, just, just as one example, um, you know, the Theon storyline had been sort of frustrating where it seemed inessential or it seemed like it was taking a lot of time over the last few seasons. And here, like just immediately he rescues Yara. They're on their way to the Iron Islands you know, four minutes worth of content. And that's about, I think, what he deserved to have devoted to him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they like they could have killed off Theon at multiple points and chose not to, I assume, because George R. R. Martin's plan was that Theon plays into it somehow. Um, and, yeah, so at times he seems like a totally superfluous character, and then at times he's, like, an important character. And... Yeah, the previous season he was kind of like a, a nobody, and then he, you know, kind of regains his confidence or something. Actually, I just so I rewatched seasons six and seven in preparation for the finale, and there's the um, in the last, <laughs> I think it's the last episode of season seven. There's that scene where uh, Theon fights one of the Ironborn uh, like on the beach, and, oh yeah, and the yes. guy's like kicking the like total crap out of him, and he, but Theon is like still getting up, and then and then the guy tries kneeing him in the groin. And Theon, um, you know, had his, was gelded or whatever you want to call it, castrated. And so he's impervious to growing, you know, growing, uh, knees or whatever and is able to fight back. <laughs> and so that was, it's kind of a bizarre scene, but it's like, yeah, they want, <laughs> they, they, I don't know, they seem to care about Theon more than <laughs> other people do. But anyway, yeah, I, I, so I would just say overall, I thought it was a pretty good episode. It, it, there was no, like, wow moment and maybe and considering i think there's only six episodes this season you would think maybe i would be- say the the final scene where i guess they're in the the umbers castle and they find the uh the little, the little boy child lord who i i actually went back and looked at it and i wasn't sure is he the one who is climbing on the walls i think so i think that was supposed to be the, yeah. the, the boy you see at the very beginning of the episode um, yes. Okay. So that was surprising, and I certainly had never seen you know a pinwheel of human limbs lit on fire before. But there, but there wasn't any. You know, the the show is known for like, you know, doing things that are totally crazy and totally shock you, and there wasn't any of that. And you know that maybe the first you know the first episode is the place for that kind of OMG moment. And there certainly were a number of like important character notes and stuff. But anyway, I thought it was like a good episode. Didn't yeah. knock my socks off, but like. Certainly, <laughs> I'm going to keep on watching. Um, so I guess one of the – so a lot of it was kind of like bring, yeah, bringing together characters who have been apart for a long time and having them have some sort of 
reunion or learn something about each other. And so Arya um, has re- reunions with uh, Jon Snow and the Hound and uh, Gendry. Is it Gendry or Gendry? I never, I never remember. I think Gendry. I think it's yeah. Okay, so Gendry and I know. So I, I guess I was I <laughs> when I was rewatching I um when the moment when John and Sansa have the reunion is like one of the most affecting moments in the show. I think, and then I, I remember thinking like, oh man, when Arya and John like have a reunion, that'll be like, you know, we'll, we'll all be crying or something. And I thought it, they didn't like play it up as much as they could have, or I don't know, there was something maybe because that previous moment with Sansa happened already and they didn't want to just do it again. But in the, in the show and in the books, um, it's made clear that like, this is the closest bond between any of the Stark children and uh, they really loved each other. And, you know, the separation was hard for them. And then they're finally you know, like seven seasons later are reunited. So it was nice, but it wasn't like, I don't know. They, they could have pulled more heartstrings, maybe. Especially since um, I think Sansa and John never share a scene at any point in the show before they're reunited. That's and right. Yeah, they go out of their way to communicate, you know, how close Arya and um, and John were. So it seems, I mean, just like you said, it seems odd that they sort of danced over it. I mean, they have a nice little scene together, but there's so many reunions at this point in the show. I think, yeah. you know. I get the impulse to sort of get them out of the way as quickly as possible. You know, they handle Gendry and Arya being reunited in the same scene as um, she and the Hound. Mm-hmm. I think she and the Hound have, you know, a moment together after having been together for a season and a half. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and it's hard to remember exactly all the uh, plot points, um, but yeah, the Hound says, like, you know, you left me for dead or something, so um, <laughs> I had forgotten about that. Um so yeah, so well, I can actually skip ahead to the very end of the sh- of the episode, which was a, re- a reunion that was very surprising, and I didn't realize it was you know about to happen until it did. Which is um, Bran Stark and um, the Kingslayer, uh, Jamie Lannister. And did you watch the next one? I did watch it. So yeah, so it seems like this is the, kind of like the next big plot point, um, and. Uh, as you as everyone who is still watching this episode and listening to it will remember in the in the first episode of the first season uh Jamie throws like 10-year-old Bran out of a window um because Bran sees them uh sees <laughs> Jamie and Cersei uh having sex and yeah so that's like kind of one of the things that sparks like the whole rest of the show is this plot point and then you know they they kind of see each other so i thought it was like I wasn't expecting it. It was interesting to see it. Uh, but also, like, just from the next on, it's kind of like, are we going to get sidetracked into, like, the trial of Jamie Lannister when the the 500,000 White Walkers are, are heading our way? Yeah, it seems... It seems like that would be a waste of time <laughs> at this point in the show. I did have an idea that something they've sort of planted the idea for is... You know, I think this is a sort of well-established fan theory that um, Daenerys would sort of be the Mad King mm-hmm. of, you know, her own. She has whatever the Mad King had and would maybe be eliminated in the same way. Um, and they tease that with her burning the Tarleys alive. Um, and you can kind of, if they were to eliminate her, a interesting way to do it would be for Tyrion to kill her. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And they've already teased that too. Remember they, um, I think when Tyrion is in jail for killing Joffrey, they say, you know, the Kingslayer brothers, it has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not really sure where they're going with this. It would seem to be a waste of time to do this to kill Jamie or to just have a plot where Jamie is like somehow exonerated or whatever. But if it's part of a larger arc that would like kill Daenerys or kill Tyrion, you could kind of see it going in that direction. I don't know. Yeah, and there was but yeah, I was I was confused too as to what what exactly they're planning to do with this. Yeah, so there was there was also that reminds me that there's a there was a long-standing fan theory that um, Tyrion was actually um, a Targaryen as well, and that Tyrion, yeah. would, in addition to John and Danny, Tyrion would ride the third dragon. Um, the third, the third dragon was killed and is an ice zombie now, so I guess they're not going in that direction. Um, but I guess there were, there were like the, the, you know, the super fans had found hints of that in the book and stuff. Um, yeah, so I don't, no, I mean, it would be, it, it would be part, like, part for the course for the show to invest all of our emotional energy into Danny and then show that actually she would be a bad ruler as well. And like, you know, that there can't really be such a thing as a good king. Um, the evidence for her being a good queen is sort of thin um, in in her record. You know, she did a good job of conquering stuff in Essos, but sort of a disaster that she left behind. <laughs> yeah, she. I mean, she freed the slaves, uh, which was good, um, I guess. But it, um, yeah, it didn't it didn't like help her position to do that. And yeah, it's kind of, it, yeah, like is there you know in this world is there such a thing as a like just and fair and true king who, you know, does good for the people. It, it kind of doesn't seem like it. Um, and the one, the, the the characters who are the do gooders uh, often meet bad fates. Uh, Ned Stark being the prime example. You know, he always did the right thing and told the truth, and he uh, got executed. And then kind of, Jon Snow is kind of his uh, spiritual heir, even though we know now he's not not the literal heir. If, you know, he tries to do the right thing, and he got stabbed to death by his. Um, mates in the Night's Watch, only to be re- re- resurrected. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of like, can you, yeah, can you do justice and still keep control in this world where like, you know, people will stab you in the back, literally. Um, and they seem to be setting up sort of a reprise of John at the Night's Watch where, you know, the North is not comfortable with him not being the king and him bending the knee to Daenerys and, um, you know, it would be silly to just re- redo the same beats of that story. So it seems like they would go in a different direction with it, especially with John now knowing his own ancestry. Yeah, and yeah, the people who have been like proclaimed king of the north by acclamation, like, don't you know, it hasn't like ended well for them. Um, so okay, so what did you think of the um, the Euron Greyjoy Cersei Lannister plotline? <laughs> It's also a little difficult to know what's supposed to be happening with that. I guess, you know, there's an element of trying to make Euron more important, or there's also, Euron actually, there's this sort of, I felt it was almost like breaking the fourth wall where he is um, talking to captured Yara, and Euron says, if I kill you, who can I talk to? This mm-hmm. sort of recognition that there's like no characters left in King's Landing <laughs> and in that section of the storyline. Uh-huh. Like it's really just like them and Kyburn and they just sent Bronn away. 
Yeah, um, that's true. And yeah, the, there's the mountain, but he uh, he doesn't say anything since he got turned right. into you know, since he got like resurrected. Um, yeah, so but the, everyone else seems to have abandoned her. I think it is. Um, I don't know. It's it's you know this character was like kind of teased in the books for a while. It doesn't appear in the books as far as I know, but they talk about him being this like crazy character. Yeah. And then I think the guy sort does... of a legendary force in the books that is discussed but doesn't appear correct? yeah he's i mean he's like the greatest pirate ever essentially and i think the guy does like a good job as as like an over-the-top performance of this of this guy um and you know i think I'll, i think the only place i can say this is on blogging has he kind of remi- he kind of looks like uh, michael brendan doherty um if you uh, or at least the the facial hair features that michael brendan doherty used to have are blogging heads, it, yeah our blogging heads fans will maybe uh recognize that but anyway yeah so it's i don't know the i mean it's, you know, like, why is he, like, what role is he really playing? I guess they, they came up with the idea that they would need, like, a Navy for this, like, to work. Um, and that's, that's why the character is, is being kept around. But yeah, hopefully he will play some more role than just being this, like, crazy guy. And then he has, then he has sex with <laughs> Cersei and then he yeah. leaves. Um, it is, yeah, it is strange. I'm- I, I, I'm sure you noticed, um, but there was sort of a clumsy introduction of the one new character we get in the episode, um, besides the late child Lord Umber, um, was Captain Strickland, I think, um, who is the head of the Golden Company. Yes, the like mercenary army, yeah. Yeah, and you know, so they they sort of heavy-handedly introduce him, where first he's standing next to Euron on the bow of the ship in the kind of an equal position to him. And you're like, well, who's that guy? And then they're like, oh, hello, Captain Strickland, you know, and introducing his name. And he doesn't do anything in the episode, but it's, like, sort of puzzling as to where that's going also. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's that... it's not, Well, it's not like what Cersei wants to do at this point. Does she just want to defend the the lands that she currently has, or is she going to try to, like mess things up or does she want like protection? Like she doesn't seem very concerned about the white walkers. And right. um, so I guess she doesn't seem to want like protection from them. So yeah, her, it's unclear what her strategy is. And, you know, she, as you know, she often like uh, her strategy isn't great. Like she did, she blew up um, the, the sept of Baylor and um, caused her son to kill himself. So, yeah, she just, she, she goes, she, she does too much and, uh, isn't like a grand, um, strategist. But, but yeah, it is, I mean, it is She reminds me of, uh, someone from the real world, unfortunately, who seems to be constantly making insane blunders and yet somehow <laughs> holds on to power. I don't know so, who you could be referring to, but, um, yeah. we have to remember that the, these, these characters were created like in the mid 90s. So, um, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I think the yeah the, uh, the Trump aspect thinking about it is you know how would Trump fit into this world? I mean, he is like kind of a bomb. I mean, he's kind of a bombastic character, um, and you know, kind of like a like like he I guess he reminds me a little bit of Robert Baratheon. If you remove like the fighting, you'd be able to be like a really good fighter twenty years ago. Um, right, Robert Baratheon with bone spurs, I suppose. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, some of the, he's like past his prime and, but he's still in power and, you know, we all have to kind of deal with him. Um, okay, so, let's see, what, what else, what else can we discuss? So, so what, I mean, what, what, like, I guess, okay, let's talk about the, um, the riding the dragons. Uh, which I guess it was just like, it shows, you know, there's long, it's long been speculated that John would ride a dragon because then we know he's a Targaryen. So they're, and they're the only ones who can ride the dragon. Um, it, it certainly looked cool. Like it, uh, it was exciting to watch. And if it was, you know, it, you know, if it was in a movie, it would have been, you know, we 
it was movie quality, special effects and, and so forth. Um, but yeah, it's also like <laughs> another thing where it's like, okay, guys, like we were kind of like time pressure here. Uh, why are we messing <laughs> right. around? Both, both like, why are the, you know, creators of the show messing around with this and why are the characters deciding that now's the time to like play around and go for a ride on the dragons? Yeah, it seems a little unsafe, you know, like maybe there needs to be a seatbelt or something on the dragons. I don't know. Um, I actually, I had written down, you said it was like a movie. Um, the thing that it sort of jumped out at me as reminding me of is uh, the dogfight scene in Independence Day, of all things, huh. with the dragons dipping into the canyon like that. Um, you know, Game of Thrones has in the past um, explicitly quoted um, famous movie scenes. Uh, I think most notably the... The scene where Barristan Selmy reveals himself to Daenerys uh, is like shot for shot the same as Obi Wan revealing himself to Luke Skywalker. In oh, I, I, a New yeah, Hope. I didn't realize that. That's so insane. someone on Reddit put that together and did a shot by shot comparison, and it's like exactly. Um, and similarly, the end of this episode with them setting the White Walker, Lord Umber, Warg art piece on fire um, is. I mean, it seems almost quoting from the thing including the sort of uh, inhuman cry that it makes when it's set, set on fire. Huh. Um, I've never seen that. So I, I didn't, so. Uh, I, oh, you should see it. It's a fantastic <laughs> Isn't movie. The John, Car- the John Carpenter uh, version. The John Carpenter thing. Yeah. yeah um, I'll put it in the and, you know, it, it's set in Antarctica, which was also, you know, something that I think this setting recalled. But if you watch them side by side, I would imagine that this is almost an explicit quote mm-hmm. from the thing. It really is just very evocative of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I was, I was also, I was glad to see that, um, our friends, Beric Dondarrion and Tormund are, did not die at the end of last season. It was left, oh, thank ambi- God. It was left ambiguous. Um, <laughs> Tormund is my wife's uh, favorite character, or at least the one she most likes to watch walk around. And I, I actually like, I, I don't know why, but I like Beric a lot. I like the, the actor and the way, like whatever his accent is, is very pleasing. And, um, yeah. It's just kind of... I haven't had a lot for him to do, but I, I agree with you. I like the performance a lot. Yeah, and sort so... Of a, uh, they've, he's managed to imbue a sort of empty character with a, a memorable aspect, I think, through the performance. Yeah, and then it, it's like, the yeah, the question that was raised in the last season, it was like, why uh, this character has been like brought back to life six times? Was Is there some reason for this or not? And I think that's it, that's related to like the larger thing about you know, uh, in this universe, who is the, like, is there really a Lord of Light? What is there a true religion? Is there some kind of plan unfolding or is it all just kind of randomness? And, you know, it's the, the, um, followers of the Lord of Light are shown to have actual magical powers and can bring people back to life and see the future and stuff. Whereas the followers of the seven gods don't seem to have any access to like supernatural <laughs> ability or anything. Um, but the followers of the old, the old gods also seem like there was some kind of power and the old gods and like the trees seem to have some mystical power. Um, so, so yeah, it seems like all of the religions are real except for the seven in some sense where there is like a real power that is invoked by every one of the religions in the show, except for the dominant religion of Westeros. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, in the, it's, it's hard to know exactly what aligns with what, but like, you know, you could say the, the old gods are kind of like, like a primitive polytheism where, you know, like the river, there's a river God and a sky God and a tree God. And then the, um, the seven are maybe more like the Roman gods or something. Um, and then the lower light is like Christianity and, or, or Judaism, like a, a, you know, monotheism. Um, 
And it's especially <laughs> the aspect of um, you know, I think people compare the the Roman gods to Christianity. One of the different features is that Christianity is like exclusive, where you you say there's not only is there only this one god, but it's forbidden to worship any of the other gods. Whereas the Roman gods were a little more ecumenical and willing to tolerate the existence of other gods, you know, they would conquer a new territory and it would be fine for them to be worshiping these old gods. And they would, yeah. They would like kind of adopt, like bring in. Yeah. But then and, uh, I, at other times, the, it, uh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, it's just like the, um, at other times the, the set, the you know, the seven seems kind of like um, Catholicism and the Lord of light seems like Protestantism. Um, right. Kind of like, you know, cutting off all the like established church kind of stuff and just having it being like a, a personal connection between the the person and the almighty. So yeah, I don't know if, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a one-to-one correspondence, but it will be interesting to see if the, that plays out. If the, the prince who was promised, they haven't mentioned that in a while. If, if, if that ever comes to anything. Yeah. We mentioned that there was kind of no missing characters that we care about from this episode, but the one character who is sort of, um, conspicuously missing. Now that I think about it, is uh, Melisandre, who is still out there. I guess she was exiled last season, right? Yeah, she left. Yeah, I think she was at Winterfell, and she left and um, said, "I think she said something like, i 'I'm going to die in Westeros,' like or something along those lines. Like she foresaw yeah. death is going to happen in Westeros. So she's, she's not like heading back to the east, which is where the uh, religion of the Lord of Light uh, originated. So yeah, are there any? Were there any other major characters who they passed over? Brienne is not in the episode. I think you see her. You see her sitting there, but I don't think she she might not right. even have a line. Yeah, Brienne and um, what's her squire's name again? Pod. They're sort of a team. Of, yes, Pod. Um, I, I think they don't really do anything in this episode, but they're like hanging out there. They're they're around, right? Um, um okay, so let's uh, let's talk about how we think this crazy show might end. Do you do you have a personal theory that you? Are holding on no to. good theories at this point. And, you know, I think after a couple of days of thinking about this, or more accurately listening to people who are <laughs> talking about the show and their theories, uh, it might be more clear. The only thing I could think of is that they really seem to have, over the years, teased a lot of, hey, there's like all these passages you can escape from Winterfell from. Um, the White Walkers can't cross water, we know. Mm-hmm. And there's even a, you know, a line between Theon and Yara, where they talk about, you know, hey, if Winterfell, where Winterfell falls, they can come to the Iron Islands if we reconquer them. It seems like maybe they're setting it up to lose the Battle of Winterfell. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly what that would look like in terms of, like, do the dragons survive? Do, you know, which characters survive? But then, you know, the White Walkers would be facing down Cersei and presumably kill her before whatever the denouement of the show would end up being. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, there, yeah, so there's all these, you know, there's tons of fan theories, um, and some, you know, there's, in the books especially, there's all these, like, prophecies, and people, uh, trying to line things up with the prophecies, and so there's, the, that's the idea that, like, either Danny or, um, or John is, like, you know, the savior figure, um, who will, like, redeem humanity or, or something along those lines. I, I, though, I, this is not an original theory to me, but the one that makes the most sense and how the show has transpired is that the White Walkers uh, win and kill everyone. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, you know, I don't know if Martin has said this explicitly, but it's 
one possible metaphor for the White Walkers is climate change. And it's this looming threat that we are ignoring with our, you know, our petty concerns. And, but it's like the real thing that's actually threatening humanity. And it, like at this point, it kind of seems like humanity is not doing a, a good job banding together to fight the looming threat. Um, and so having, having all of our beloved heroes and villains, um, get wiped out and then it's just like a land of ice. And I don't know if the, if the ice king would, would sit on the iron throne or what. Um, but I think that they would certainly be... deserve it more than anyone else on the show. <laughs> I mean, everyone else seems like they deserve to lose at this point. Yeah. I mean, the ice king hasn't really played a wrong hand yet. Um, you know, he's, he's doing a pretty good job and it, it's not clear how many of the actual, how many white walkers there actually are. It, they only ever yeah. show a couple, like, like less than 10 at one time. So I don't know if there's a ton of them. Um, or I, and it's unclear what they, why they want to, um, conquer land. Like they don't seem to, they're not, they're not human. They don't seem to have any like desires. And so it, it does seem like they're kind of an impersonal force, like climate change or something that, that is threatening everyone. And, um, so yeah, so I, if I had to, I don't know if they'll do it. I think that would be a good, a good ending. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else would be. I mean, it, it, there's, like there's a happy a, ending um, seems like a super happy ending seems unlikely. Like John and Danny married to each other and sitting side by side, like that's the obvious happy ending. And I don't think they're I don't think they're going to do that. It wouldn't feel like it would be in the spirit of the show for it to end like that. You know, certainly in terms of what George R. R. Martin intended, it would be something that straightforward. I think would be um, I don't know. It would feel like a betrayal of the the show's themes and the mm-hmm. show's attitude. Um, I, I heard a fan theory, and again, I haven't read the books. So I should have prefaced that. I'm a show watcher only. Um, but based on stuff in the books, I think that, um, the Starks buried under Winterfell in the crypts will somehow be instrumental in at the defeating the White Walkers or be part of the White Walker army. Hmm. But they certainly spent like a lot of time on the crypts and the fact that all the Starks are buried there. And they're sort of cryptic, you know, there always must be a Stark in Winterfell. No, like, no pun intended. Why exactly? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, this idea, I mean, even on the show, they, they put a lot of significance on the fact that like Ned Stark's remains are returned to Winterfell. Yeah. Um, and so that that could somehow play into whatever happens, either, at, you know, them as part of the White Walker army or them as defeating the White Walker army. And you know, there's the whole, is Bran the Night King and is Bran somehow, you know, existing in two timelines as, you know, controlling the, the army of the undead. Um, I'm not sure exactly what to make of all of that, but there seems to be a lot of, you know, if you want to be, you know, doing the fan theory, conspiracy theory, connecting the threads. There's a lot of threads there in terms of stuff that's in the show that seems to be sort of hanging loose. Yeah, that's, yeah. um, So that's interesting. And I don't know, you know, like if, so the White Walkers seem to be able to like, like take any corpse and turn it into a, you know, walker or, you know, whatever you want to call them. Um, They're called, I think in the book, they're called whites, W-I-G-H-T. Um, and, but they I don't think in the show also, they, they differentiate between the walkers and the whites. Right. So, so I don't, um, you know, I don't know if like, if you resurrect like, uh, you know, a famous Stark, um, skeleton that it's like an extra good fighter or something. I don't, I don't think that's the case. <laughs> um, 
And yeah, so I don't know, but you're right. They do, or, they, or that the Starks would have some sort of magical power that would be imbued in defeating the White Walkers, because we know a Stark in the past of the show had, was the one who built the wall, which right. seems to have some sort of magic connected to it. Yeah, that, so that there's I know that so, from, so there's this fan the there's this fan theory that Bran is the Night King, like he he somehow travels back in time and becomes the Night King. I don't I didn't entirely ever understand that. There's also a theory that yeah. Bran is the same as Bran. It, it seems partially based on the fact that like the actors resemble each other, which seems like a sort of weak. Yeah, that, hand, that's weird. I don't know off. what I don't think I don't know how they could pull that off. There's also like the guy who the Stark who built the wall is called Bran the Builder, I think. Um right. so, so maybe that's he does that or something. Or I just saw someone tweeting that, you know, Bran could just like he, he seems he. It's shown that he's able to affect when he travels back in time. It's he's able to affect events in some way, and so if he travels back in time and prevents the White Walkers from being created, then that would you know some you know they would evaporate or something or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, the, that's the a possibility. Of how that works with uh, you know Hodor is the time we've seen that happen, and I guess you know people in the. Um, the Ned Stark flashback where he's at the Tower of Joy, you know, he hears a voice that's Bran or something. Right. But it's unclear if that's, you know, Bran can affirmatively choose to go back in time and change things or if it's sort of a closed loop where he's participating in something that is fated to happen already. Yeah, that I mean, that's always the thing with, like, time travel um, plot lines. If you think about it too hard, it kind of falls apart. And, you know, was, was right. it always meant, you know, was he always going to, this thing was always going to happen? I So I don't know about that. And there hasn't been... Except for those little times where, like, Bran, you know, said something and the Ned Stark of the past turned around and looked, there hasn't, they haven't done any time travel, as far as I know, in the, in the series. Um, which is always kind of, yeah, it's just kind of like, I don't know. If they want to, like, get out of the mess they've created for themselves, then, like, time travel is what would be one way to just escape this, like, knot of, of plot difficulties, I suppose. Um, yeah, it be, it all becomes a bad Star Trek The Next Generation episode or something with, uh, Various time paradoxes resolving the uh, the conflict, <laughs> right? So hopefully they don't do that. Um, but well, the, I mean the thing there, you know, this so this show is ending, but I have a feeling this property is going to live on forever in the way that Star Wars seems to have lived on forever. So I know there's at least one uh, sh- um, Game of Thrones spinoff in the works at HBO. I, I can't remember if it's either a prequel or a sequel, uh, but there's but Martin has written some books that are prequels. Um, so there's material for that and yeah, I mean, they, he created a totally like interesting world that, you know, I'm sure you could continue telling stories about it, um, for like for a long time to come. Um, I mean, my fear, I think they would, wouldn't do this because it would be incredibly frustrating. <laughs> um, my fear is that they would get to the end of the season and then be like, now stay tuned for the trilogy movie series to conclude the plot. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't think they're gonna do that. I mean, we, like, um, the woman who plays Arya has dyed her hair pink. Um, so, but then they could have just killed her character off, so she was free to dye her hair pink. Yeah, it's, it kind of seems like all the actors are, are done with it, and they've done all these, like, giant yeah. celebrations for the show. But I think, I think they'll keep, you know, they'll keep the, the IP, uh, going, and, you know, they could do, they, they could do, like, a, just 20 years before, like, they could show the story of, yeah. The, and Robert that is Rebellion the plan for the spinoff, stuff. right? It's for that it would be it would take place during Robert's Rebellion. Oh, I, yeah, sort of I, I, I'm not sure. Of the same characters. I'm not sure, but they that's have, what I had read. But I'm not sure if that's, that makes sense. They have some of those actors story. already that they um, that they cast for those flashback scenes, so they they could do that. Um, yeah. 
And yeah, I, I you know I would keep on watching. Um, okay, is there is there anything else you want to say? Oh, well, why don't we just briefly? Um, so I guess the big like the big moment of the episode, which also takes place in the crypts, was um, Jon Snow finding out that he's actually um, the true king of Westeros, um, and finds out that you know his name is actually Aegon Targaryen, and yeah, it's. So that's, yeah, that was like a fan theory that went back for a long time and then turned out to be true. And, and, you know, we found out about it at the end of last season and then John finally finds out about it, but he, um, you know, he doesn't want to rule, uh, Westeros. And yeah, what did you think of, of that scene? Yeah, it, it was sort of, um, part and parcel with the compliment I gave towards the pacing where, you know, you said it had been a fan theory for a long time and it had been sort of like common knowledge that it was true in the show long before the show had actually revealed it. Right. Um, and it was sort of, it reminded me of an Arrested Development, you know, where they would have all these really heavy handed hints that uh, Buster was uh, um, the brother Oscar. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, oh, your grandfather's not here or, you know, <laughs> right. whatever. Um, and it sort of began to feel like that on Game of Thrones. And it was I give them credit for just being like, instead of like, when will John find out? How can we, you know, draw this out as long as possible? It's just first episode, first conversation with Sam. It's like, hey, by the way, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I was thinking about, it. do they have a way to prove that beyond um, Bran? Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's no obviously no DNA testing in this world. Right. So I don't. I don't know. Um, and Do we know if John is immune to fire the same way Daenerys is? I was thinking about this, if he had ever like been, oh, been burned. That, yeah, that would be interesting uh, to see. I don't know. But I'm sure they, like, I'm guessing Martin had this all plotted out beforehand and would have told them. Um, there is there is the scene where there's, the, it's like the first appearance of one of the zombies uh, in, like, season one or two. And they have fire where they're fighting off the um, the... Remember the right. Night's Watch who turns into a zombie. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And yeah, and then it's like, is, is Daenerys, at, like, is Daenerys immune to fire because she is like the mother of dragons and there's something super special about her? Or is it just that she's a Targaryen? Um, that's unclear. And, and she's not immune to fire in the books, is my understanding, that this was an invention for the show that she you has. Know, I, I've read the books, like, I can't remember that actually. I mean, the scene, as I recall, the scene where she, um, where the eggs hatch at the very end of the first season is that similar um, in that way. But they never, the, the scene where she uh, sets the uh, house of the like uh, calls on fire and, and right. walks out, that is not, you know, they didn't get to that point in the books. So, so I don't know about that. And I suppose we, we certainly know that her older brother was not immune to fire since he is killed by the, uh, that's true. He cult. was definitely a Targaryen and they were like, after he gets killed, they say something like he was not a true dragon. Um, right. So, yeah. And, but, and then the, the other thing is that the, the Targaryens, um, practice incest. And, uh, whereas John is half Stark, half Targaryen. Um, so yeah. So, I mean, he is like the, the true, like, ice and fire combined. And the fans, you know, came up with that a long time ago. So, yeah. So his I, role it, seems important. <laughs> I don't know. My understanding is that Daenerys is not. Her parents were not siblings. Oh, okay. That that was further back in the Targaryen Maybe. timeline. Yeah. I don't know. I need to pull up the wiki or something. This is uh... <laughs> yeah. It's incredible how like how much detail is is in this stuff. Um, and 
Yeah. So I don't know. Um, is there anything else you want to say about this episode or Game of Thrones in general before we sign off? Hmm. Something I don't totally know how I feel about is there, there's like a series of running jokes in the show. And one of them is um, almost every time we see Bronn, he's like about to have sex and is interrupted. And it seems like this was an especially winking iteration of that. Um, to do that in, you know, this late in the series, th- there seems to be these sort of like winks and ironies. Um, and as we're approaching the climax of the show, I don't know if those are still appreciated. Yeah, I don't know how you yeah. feel about that. Well, I mean, I, it's fun. It's fun for the fans to be like, haha, this is that thing that keeps happening to him. But well, what I, what I noticed since, so I rewatched season six and seven in the past, like, 72 hours, and I don't think there are any scenes like that. Whereas in the early part of the show, it became infamous for these scenes where there'd be a beautiful naked woman and then like a man explaining things and in like yeah. exposition style, and people called it sex position. Um, and yeah, the nudity's back. <laughs> yeah, so there was some, you know, there, there was some nudity for sure, but there wasn't like this gratuitous nudity of like a lot of scenes taking place in brothels and, uh, yeah, characters having conversations while like naked women are writhing around. So they they moved away from that, and then it did seem kind of like this was a callback to that that earlier thing because there's there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of instances of it, but they they stopped in the more recent seasons. Yeah, and it seems like both with the nudity and the uh, the gore, uh, you know that that scene at the end, obviously, and then they, I guess it was the uh, the on shooting people with arrows through the eye mm-hmm. where it seems like they had gone out of their way to make that gory. Um, and that was something that the show had also gotten away from in the last couple of seasons. Um, so I wonder if this was sort of a, you know, trying to, to return to the, the visceral impact of the nudity and the gore. I, I don't really know, but it was, it was something that caught my attention. Yeah. I'm trying to think of how much the gore lessened. Yeah. There may have been fewer things, um, definitely a you lot know, like, of, a lot of, for example, in, um, in season six, like they, they finally kill Ramsey and it's sort of off camera where it's, you see Sansa's reaction to it. And I think right. in like an earlier era of the show, they would have just, you know, found a way to show that, you know, and had it be this very gory dismembering of him. Hmm. Um, and there were uh, several instances of that, in, um, seasons five and six and it felt like, it was a departure from the show, which had always gone out of its way to be sometimes gratuitously gory and upfront with violence. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think they kind of kept that going. I mean, you had the, um, the scene, um, when, uh, right before the, the church is blown up and they carve the, um, the symbol into Loris Terrell's forehead. And like, you see that very, oh, like a long shot of, um, a forehead, you know, being carved into. And then there was the scene with the, um, the battle of the bastards. They, there's a lot of gore in that and like people holding their intestines in their hands and, and so, so I don't know. I think they've, yeah, I think they've, I think they've stuck with the violence, but less sex than, than there was, yeah. than there was originally. And, um, yeah. And since the show was, you know, those were <laughs> like, you know, sex was as much a strong theme as violence was and illicit sex, and people being born out of wedlock and stuff are like the key drivers of the, of the series. Uh, the, you know, the whole plot is 
set in motion when this uh John Aaron is is murdered because he finds out that uh Cersei's children are actually uh, born of incest not of from her husband. So, so we later find out that that's actually not true, correct? That uh John Aaron is murdered by Littlefinger for like no reason. I <laughs> it's it's tough for me to keep track. They've they've well, redefined uh, why he was killed so many times. Well, okay. I think that was the final explanation that it was like Littlefinger and um Yeah, well that um, may be that may be true. Yeah, Littlefinger and uh, What's her the, name? The wife, the... who is Lisa, is her name. Let me pronounce right, Lisa. Lisa and yeah, so yeah, that comes into it also. Yeah, and she was a lover of Littlefinger, so you may be right. But um, that yeah. So anyway, his so you know John Aaron's death is what starts the plot essentially, and and brings um, the Starks down to uh, King's Landing. Um, but you know that's related to sex as well, I suppose. Although it, it's one thing that I would like clarification on <laughs> is. What, like, what did Littlefinger, what was his ultimate goal? Was it just to, that he could sit on the Iron Throne? Because that seems pretty unlikely to ever actually happen. Or he just liked creating chaos because then he could, he says chaos is a ladder and he could, like, you know, rise in the world. Or did he have some plan? Because it seems like they kind of gave up on the character and sort of in the last couple seasons before this, like, didn't really know what to do with him anymore, except as a as a method for getting other characters where they needed to be. Like they knew that they needed to get Sansa back to Winterfell. They knew that they needed to get, you know, the uh, the army from uh, the Vale mm-hmm. to the Battle of the Bastards. But it, like it was really unclear as to what he was doing, and which I think made his death sort of unsatisfying. Where it's just like, hey, it's just like hanging out there, you know? It's like trying to start some shit, but <laughs> yeah, he didn't really seem to have a plan. Um, right. Whereas it seemed like Varys like has had a plan, like a long term plan yeah. related to Daenerys. Um yeah, I don't know. Uh yeah, so but I, I, I you know, I doubt they're gonna come back to that now that the character is gone. Um okay, maybe we should end it there. Um and we were plan we're planning on reuniting after the finale, the series finale, which is in I think there's only five more episodes, right? So it'd be in a little over a month. Yeah. Um, That's correct, and, and uh, we'll we'll find out how wrong all of our predictions are. <laughs> um, I think pretty much everything we said in this episode will uh, look pretty stupid by then. But uh, <laughs> you know, I meant I meant to go back and listen to um, the one we recorded a year and a half ago, um, but I didn't have time. But it, it, I think I'll just at least listen to a little bit of it and see how we, if anything, has been borne out or or what. Um, but yeah, I think I mean the, like. The people making the show are very smart and good at, good at what they do. I'm sure they have tricks up their sleeve that we cannot predict. And um, so, yeah, we'll keep on watching. That's that's definitely my hope. Um, my uh, my fiance is terrified that uh, you know we kind of got burned on Lost all those mm. years ago. Another show that seemed like it had a grand plan for ending things, and then turned out not to have such a grand plan for ending things. Yeah, that's so, true. We, but, uh, but this is little... not this is not like a puzzle show in the way that Lost was like a puzzle show, right? Exactly, and uh, you know I think there's various endings that wouldn't be perfect, but it would be perfectly satisfying. Um, it'll be fun to see them try to stick the landing on here, but I think inevitably it's going to be disappointing to some people, you know, especially the uh, the fan theorists. There's only so many ways the show can 
continue to explore this sort of crazy yeah. nooks and crannies of Westerosi history. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so the super fans, probably a lot of them will not have their pet theory confirmed. Um, but oh, I guess the last thing I would say is it's I, like, it really does, see, it really is incredible how this show has become one of the major like cultural institutions of our era. And it's, you know, it's definitely a strange show and, you know, it's a like, 25 years ago, like, a, you know, if you were like, yeah, this is a show about, you know, it takes place in kind of this fantasy world and there's like dragons and stuff and ice zombies, like people would be like, that sounds super nerdy. Like, you know, no, I don't, I don't have any interest in this. Um, but you know, it's at this point, it's, it's getting close to like Harry Potter and the level of like cultural saturation and people, uh, watching it. And it's, it's like unites low and high in a way that most other. Uh, prestige TV doesn't. And it seems, I mean, I'm not the first one to make this observation, but it seems almost like it's the, uh, the last of its kind in terms of being this mass market prestige television program that is appointment viewing for most of the country um, when it premieres. Right now everything is streaming, everything comes out, you know, Netflix will release the series all at once. Mm-hmm. That this might be the last time there's a show with this sort of mass appeal that, you know, Sunday nights at nine, everyone is dropping whatever else they're doing to watch this. That's true. But even, you know, you're saying everyone is watching it. I don't know what the, I don't know what the ratings are, but probably it's a lot fewer people than were watching Seinfeld in the nineties. <laughs> you know, yes. um, it's just every, you know, everyone has so many other things they could be doing, but it, but it is like in terms of the, uh, there was an article in the outline that talked about how this has been like the major, it's been such a boon to like online culture writing and how the New York times has written like 2,500 articles about Game of Thrones in the past 10 years. And you know, there's every website has like a recap up very quickly. So yeah, I don't know if there, yeah, I don't know if there's gonna be another one that's kind of like that. Um, yeah. It seems like it, it sort of outlived um, a lot of these new media ventures, economic viability where people said, you know, Oh, Game of Thrones recaps are what's keeping, you know, uh, Vice or uh, BuzzFeed, you know, that's what keeps them afloat. That's always the top page view thing. And, <laughs> you know, these these websites have been paring down their staffs for the last two years. Um, I wonder if, you know, the uh, the text on the web business model is died before Game of Thrones did. <laughs> well, that's why video on the web is the future. And, uh, you know, Blogging heads, two uh, guys talking, on. Yes, two, two guys talking about a show, uh, you know, that's, that's what the people want. Okay. So, uh, uh, Michael Sweeney. So you're on Twitter. Is it Michael? Yes. T. You can find me at Ma- Michael T. Sweeney at MTSW. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, Michael T. Sweeney at MTSW. I am Ari Cohen Wade at A-R-Y-H-C-W. Uh, thank you, Michael. Uh, thank you. Thank to you. All of our viewers and listeners. Um, what should we say? Val or Margolis or whatever? Uh, Val or <laughs> Okay. So hopefully we'll talk to you again, uh, again in, uh, about five weeks. Looking forward to it. (laughs) Before you go, a quick message from the suits at Blogging Heads TV. Blogging Heads will always be free for you to watch and listen to, and we don't even go the NPR route of guilting you into donating during Pledge Week. But we do have a small request. If you enjoy Blogging Heads programming, rate and review us on iTunes. The iTunes algorithm weighs positive reviews heavily, so taking a few minutes to rate and review us will help more people find out about our shows. Also, of course, we encourage you to subscribe to our Twitter and Facebook feeds. Thank you.